There is a story about the animal you see there. In Kiswahili, we call that animal swara. And um, many years after that, um, many years ago, a British explorer came, saw that animal, and he said, ah, I'm the first person to see it, and named it after themselves. So it is forever known as Thompson's gazelle, but we call it swara. Um, and the story is that Suara never used to have that distinctive black mark that you see there. She was as beautiful as she is now, but she did not have that distinctive black line. How did it happen? And uh, she's always wagging her tail. How did that happen? And she's always with her sisters. How did that happen? The story is that once upon a time, there was a terrible drought in Kenya. And as it happened... The animals had a baraza. A baraza is a word we still use in Kenya. It's a public meeting. You bring public together to discuss issues. They held a baraza. Terrible drought. This is what we'll do from now on. All animals are to bath together in the morning. And no animal is to have water other than the morning time so that we can preserve the water. All agreed. One week later, the animals are back. All the animals are looking really dirty and haggard. Well, one animal, name is Waterbug, loves water, said, have you noticed something? See, all of us are looking really haggard. Lion, his hair is matted. The zebra, they look dirty and they're usually looking very healthy. The other animals you can see have ticks on them, except Swara. Can you see how beautiful she looks? Clean, no ticks, nothing. We think she's coming to bath at night and she's drinking our water at night. Swara said, no, actually I have my own private pool and you're welcome to come and drink of it and you can, I can give you some water. One month later, the animals are looking terrible. And in no time, uh, water buck, very confident that this is what had happened, convinced the animals that Swara was stealing their water and was even wagging that tail in a slightly a suspicious way out of guilt. Swara said to them, no, that's not what's happening. The reason I wag my tail to the left is to warn you when the leopards are hunting. To the right shows the, the lions are hunting. And the fact that you see me together with my sisters is because they like my water. Three months later, the story is firmly implanted in their minds that this animal is stealing their water and she got branded. And that is why you see that black mark there. The, bra the, the brand there, the black mark says, watch this animal. This is someone who steals from us. That's how it got the black mark. Now you know. The story we are going to read in Mark 6, 1, but we'll go all the way to 13, talks about a person who is given, branded, and therefore given a bad name. And for that reason, we can't even hear the message that they preach or accept the mission that they are on, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the overconfident waterbuck convinced all the animals that Swara was what she was not, the people we are going to read here have the overconfidence of the water buck to believe that Jesus is less than what they think he is, than what we know he is. 
So we are going to look at just two points. The first point we are going to look at is Mark, who is the writer of this gospel, he's appealing to you, appealing to me to please lift the veil that covers Christ and his mission. The second point we are going to look at is he's going to invite us to lift. He's going to show us the way to lift the weight of missions so that we can see that mission can be done. So that's our first point, lifting the veil of Christ and his mission. See, Jesus has been away as we come to chapter 6. He's been away for about nine months is what we are told. He's been preaching all over the place from verse, chapter 3, verse 6. They've wanted to kill him. But he's been preaching all over that area. And we come to chapter 5 and you find him healing the woman who has a problem of bleeding. Then there's a girl who dies and he has to be in both places and he heals the one, the girl dies. It's been a very busy time. He's back in Nazareth. Please see what happens. He went there, verse 1, to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. What happens in verse 2? When Sabbath came, he begins to teach. And they're amazed. Not for a good reason. Look at verse 3. Where did this man get these things, they ask? Where did he get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these miraculous signs that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his brothers here with us? Just like the overconfident waterbuck had so influenced the animal community that they believed that Swara was what she was not. These people have so imbibed certain thinking about Christ that they don't see who he is. They can't listen to him. They cannot see him. He's veiled. And his mission is veiled as well. This overconfidence of the water bug is something that is very common even among us. It's the tendency to look, to make a decision. You make a decision about someone or about something, and then you look for data that supports what you believe. It's a very common human problem. Any unfavorable information that we may have that may cause us discomfort only goes to persuade us that our prejudices are correct. Now, we may not want to do that for that reason. It could be that we just don't like to look ignorant. And therefore, we just refuse to accept those facts because we don't, those facts make us look ignorant. But the trouble is that if you hold on to those ideas very, very strongly, that support your belief that is not always warranted by the evidence, it can lead us to the worst case scenario like it happened in America, 1868, those sort of years, the days of the laws of the Jim Crow laws. Because the idea started very benignly. Listen, come on, you know, uh, let's people have water with the people that they want. You know, if you're one race, uh, have water in your watering hole and another has water in their water. There's nothing very bad about that. By the way, I always find that really interesting, this talk of races. But really, I've only met one race, um, the human race. There is another one called the rat race, but I don't think we want to belong to that one. 
Anyway, so that then led to the Jim Crow laws that finally led to the 1968, the liberation that we all know so well about. It took a hundred years. This tendency to have the overconfidence of the water bug can lead us into serious problems. And I'm going to, as we go through this passage, to see that that overconfidence can mislead us in seeing who Jesus is and understanding his mission. We do the same thing in Kenya. Since we went back, we are working for the Anglican church uh, in a place called St. Julian's. When we open the scriptures and people see the scriptures, many times they think, that's not the Jesus I want. That Jesus is not my servant. I want a Jesus who serves me. Because they have the overconfidence of the water bug. In the UK, when we lived here and I've we watch news and you can see that. There is also the feeling that Jesus Christ is the person who re- inhibits my freedom. The overconfidence of a water bug. And we see in this passage, in Mark 6, what do they say? Did you see that? Verse 3, isn't this Mary's son? Not even the son of Joseph, Mary's son, which is meant to be a bit derogatory. Says that we grew up together with this guy. Who does he think he is? Their biased experience then blinds them to who Jesus is. And can I just appeal as we proceed through this first point, that if you have not yet committed your life to Jesus Christ or you don't know him, to not allow that overconfidence of a water bug not allow you to come to Christianity Explored tomorrow evening. Just come and have your beliefs examined by the evidence. And then you can make up your mind. That's the first point. Mark is inviting us to lift the veil that covers Christ so that you cannot see who he is, that he is more than Mary's son, and also to see, to lift the veil of the mission that he is um, inviting us to be part of. Please come with me to verse uh, four. Second point. He's lifting the weight of mission. So if Jesus is who he is, if the veil is lifted, verse four then is going to to begin helping us to see that mission is not as heavy as you imagine it is. It's not as difficult as you imagine it is. Come with me, verse four. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own home, among his relatives, and in his own relatives. He could do no miracles there except lay a few hands on a few people who are ill and heal them. And he's amazed at their lack of faith. Verse 6 continues. Then he goes around teaching village to village, calling the twelve, and he says to them, Go out two by two. Can you see that in seven? Two by two. He sends them out two by two. And he gives them authority over impure spirits. And these are his instructions. Look at verse eight. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread. No bag. No money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. 
and wherever you enter a place, stay there until you leave town. And if any place does not welcome you, well, shake off the dust as a mark that they no longer want to listen to you. And they go out, verse 12, and they begin to preach that people should repent. This passage lifts the weight of mission from our shoulders. Let me just explain. 2014, you sent us to Kenya to do the work that we are talking about, which, work, which is in the Anglican church, among lay readers, evangelists, and clergy. And we meet with them every week, morning till evening. And we have several classes. And we do discipleship. And we do Bible handling. Well, the, when we, you sent us there in 2014, um, I met one of the senior most people in the church, one of the very top people. And I introduced myself, and Mary introduced herself, and they said, there's no way you're going to do this. You're not ordained. How are you going to teach clergy? What makes you think that you can do this work? We also had a chance to speak to the bishops, and the archbishop then, as I said, was Wabukhala, who is retired, and he invited us to the house of bishops. Now, in the Anglican church, as I've said already, bishops are big men. They are important people. They are so important that even clergy don't talk to them unless you are invited. You don't talk to a bishop. It's a big people. And so when I went in, Mary and myself went in to talk to the house of bishops, someone stopped us and says, that's the house of bishops. You can't enter there. Said um, The archbishop said, we come in. No, no, house of bishops. You can't do this. That weight needed lifting. And as you are going to see, not only has the Lord opened the door in mission, in the Anglican church, some of the bishops now want us to do their own class for them. Look at verse 7, 6, 7. He calls them and he sends them two by two, lifting the weight of mission. Mission, if you do it on your own, it's going to be very difficult. That's why Jesus sends two by two. And we've had the privilege of having the following team. I don't have the time to talk about them. Mary and I, we form a team, and we've just finished a conference that brought together about a hundred people, the first annual Bible, the first uh, Bible teaching conference for discipleship and uh, expository preaching. And she did an amazing amount of work. I couldn't have done that on my own. And then we have Crosslinks, the mission, the, the mission that w has sent us out there. And then we have the three men that we've been training to take over from us. And then we have All Souls Langham Place. You pray for us, you invite us to your prayers, and you support us financially. By the way, quick, if you, as we continue talking, you're beginning to think, I could do what God has asked Mary to do. We are retiring. You, you do need to speak with Crosslinks. Please talk to Crosslinks. Don't wait until you're so old that probably they won't have you. <laughs> Go now. But we'll talk about that more in the evening. The next point we see there in seven. The Lord of Mission will do the spiritual work for you. Do you see seven? He goes out and he sends them out to cast out demons. They have his power. Raising the dead. 
spiritually dead to life. That is his work. Mission is not about you being so clever that people come to the Lord. You share about Christ and Christ opens the doors for them. If he could actually allow us to work with the Anglican church bishops, the Lord will do anything. Do you see as well verse 8? Look at verse 8. It says this. These are the instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. You, I read a passage for you. It's remarkable because he's talking to people who are already used to traveling light. This is the Middle East. And he's saying, travel even lighter than you have been traveling. And I think this is an important message for us in Oslo's Langham Place and in Britain, really, because this is a culture that it is steeped in planning and in planning and further planning. We have pensions and we have insurances and we have got all those things. And there are so many reasons why we can't do this and the other. He says this. Travel light. Lifting that burden of mission. Let me just have, I wish I had time to just go a bit more into this. When I was working in Springboard, part of the problem um, in my relationship with uh, some of the people there was that the men I used to have, and we had amazing men, and I can see some of them here, and I thank the Lord for them. One of the problems that our men used to have is that they were such big planners, steeped in the English culture as they were, they would never ask a girl out. Everything, they needed to understand absolutely everything about women before they invite them for coffee. But I'm so glad I've seen a few of them with children. May the Lord be praised. <laughs> this passage is saying, travel light. You're not on your own. We are traveling in pairs or you have a mission behind you. You have Christ doing the work. And then, he, then 7, 8, 9, 10, he says, travel light. And in the evening, we are going to see that it is going to work. It succeeds even when you travel light. What does that mean, traveling light? Can you see, he says, use your homes. It's not me saying it. Please look at that. Verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, mission, whenever you enter a house or a town, stay there until you leave town. Use your homes. For friendship, for witnessing. And can I just mention, and I'll address myself to our white cousins. Let me just for a quick moment address my white cousins. I never met any Asian, they're probably there, I never met any Asian who would not accept your friendship even among your neighbors, if they are genuine friendship. And you tell me that there is no mission? I never met a black person who was not prepared to befriend our white cousins. And you tell me that there is no mission? We are just blind to it. I never met internationals who are not friendly or wanting to be befriended by our white cousins. And you say there is no mission? But let me turn the gun side back on us who are new to this culture. The Asians among us, the black people among us, the internationals among us, you know what? My experience when we lived in this country was that the white people we invited in our house, not one of them 
ever failed to honor an invitation to dinner. And I'm not talking about Christians. Once I, uh, there was one called John, and I said to John and, uh, and his wife, uh, we, they said, we see a lot of people coming into your home. And I said, well, I don't see a lot of people coming to your home. And he said, oh, well, the reason is it has to be perfect. My wife has to, if it's a meal, it's got to be absolutely perfect. The dinner plates have to be perfect. The irons have to be perfect. The food have to, and the atmosphere. And that's why they never did anything about it. Jesus is saying here, stay, use your homes for mission. Look at verse 10. And so I would say to the black people here and to the Asians and to the internationals, try inviting our British, our white cousins. I never found one who wouldn't come. But mission can look bad because we, over, we painted with that ignorance of the water bug. But mission does not have to be that hard. It is light. There is a God-shaped vacuum for seeking freedom from the inadequacies of sin and failure to reach the mark. And verse 10 is saying, meet that need. In those days, the problem that they had was illnesses. He says, heal them. The, the Diseases we have now is, the sickness we have now is social sickness. And we are invited to meet that need. If you're a white cousin, the mission is very big. And if you're one of the internationals or a black person or an Asian person, the social needs are there among our white cousins as well. As I finish, can I just invite us to do this? To be wary of the overconfidence of the water bug. It's Culture is everywhere, which gives, which gave the gazelle a bad name. The truth is, that gazelle was telling them the truth, that she did have water that they knew nothing of. And she used to flick her tail for a good reason, but they would not hear. Will you say no to that overconfidence of a gazelle, of a water bug? And will you allow Tomorrow, if you go to Christianity Explored, or as you listen to this, for the veil of Christ to be lifted from your eyes and the veil that covers mission to be lifted because mission is not as hard as you imagine. Let us pray. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to be wary of that overconfidence of the water bug. And that we would see that you are the Lord of mission. And we can only but just stand up and walk towards it. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.